think you're, isn't that an indicator release? Are you talking about the indicator? Oh, it might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was uh, Norman J. Warren. That's it. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's yeah. an indicator. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I tend to save those for uh, for October, which is a really dorky habit. But um, yeah, I just... <laughs> well, that's what Andrew does it. <laughs> yeah, that's what, I, that's what I do, too. But that's a good gift for me because it's... I think it's now sold out from Indicator. So that was a really good time oh, to nice. get. Yeah, yeah. Um, sometimes they come back. In fact, today I placed an order and I got... There was one um, that came back that I didn't have. So, well, okay. Well, you guys, um, it's... Uh, Stephen, you've been on the show before. You've actually wrote a song for the show, so you're like legend here. Do, do you need? Do, do you want me to recap it real quick? Just acapella. Do it. Uh, the Criterion Bonds and Noble Sale. That time of year, your money <laughs> says woo. Yeah, okay, so that's just part of it. Yeah, no, that, that was pretty good. Good memory. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, it's your first time on the show. Uh, so Andrew Cabral. Um, yes. Do you want to uh, <clears throat> share anything about yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm co-host with Stephen Billings on Chasing Labels, formerly the Cinema Discovery Project, and, uh, yeah, lifelong movie fan, cinephile from childhood up till now. Um, we covered it a little bit on our podcast, but I started watching movies being taken to the, you know, the multiplex, the cinema every single weekend for new releases back when I was a tiny, tiny child in the early 90s and had a massive VHS collection, which I still have kicking around somewhere. So that was the foundation for my physical media, I guess, you know, inclinations. And yeah, I've just been growing up uh, being a lifelong movie fan and I've just kind of, my tastes have grown over time. My um, just fascination with it has grown over time. And yeah, it's it's been a great discovery of collecting movies and talking about movies with just like-minded people. You know, mm-hmm. when you're growing up and you're younger and you're kind of the only person, like, watching movies in a serious way, you kind of think you're all by yourself, and then one day the internet's invented, and here you are <laughs> talking with new people. Yeah, thanks, Al Gore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, you're certainly in good company, and, yeah, we, we, we work out on movies a lot and love it. So, yeah, um, me too, started at a young age. Not quite a, you know... Brooklyn changing my diapers age, but uh, but young enough. Well, obviously Andrew did. I mean, he's, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going to the movies like five years old. Like I'm pretty wow. sure. I'm look. I'm like Batman Returns comes to mind. Tim Burton's Batman Returns. Jurassic mm-hmm. Park comes to mind. So that era of early '90s movies come to mind when it comes nice. to first cinematic experiences. I, I'm sure Jurassic Park at five would would rock. rock so oh yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. I, so I, I happen to guest on your podcast. Um, I don't know what it, was it two episodes ago, and had yeah. a lot of a lot a great time. And of course, I knew Stephen and Andrew. It was good to meet you, and and uh, and yeah, you you know your stuff. So it was a it was a good conversation. So um, I'll put that the link to that episode in the show notes. Um, I think we talked about oh well one fun thing is we made our 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 make believe uh, boutique label, and um, yes, we did, and we had had a little fun with that. So. Um, Love what you guys are doing. Uh, you want to just kind of give an overview of what the show is? Sure. Um, so you know we you know we'd done Center of a Discovery Project for a while, and that was it. Kind of got into a point where it was us just kind of covering one film at a time. And I was talking with Andrew, and I told him I was like, "We, I'd like to try something else." And you know, I th- was trying to think of what what would be the thing that um, would keep me interested. You know, because doing a podcast. 
uh, is work, and mm-hmm. you don't want that work to get stale. Um, and of course, we love movies, but I needed this thing to be something that I could really sink my teeth into. And the thing that me and Andrew always talk about constantly is uh, what we're buying, what Blu-rays, what what collections we're getting, and specifically from uh, boutique labels like Criterion and, and Arrow and on and on. And so I was like, hey, you know, let's just let's just do a show where we talk about the announcements of all these boutique labels, as many as we can right. at a time, each episode. And and that just is what we do. We try to geek out on that stuff and, and maybe hopefully excite people to uh into wanting to buy some of this stuff you know so i guess you could say we're kind of like drug dealers um (laughs) for for making people buy the physical media so i don't feel guilty at all Um, no i'm right i'm I'm a drug dealer too i'm 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 selling a lot of stuff (laughs) in fact frank frankly i I can only imagine the amount of money spent as a result of all these shows uh so I, you're you're doing uh doing great work uh and I and and I get that about um you know kind of not wanting to burn out uh wanting to make it fresh and fun and that's kind of what how this show evolved into um because we used to do more deep dives into filmmakers which is still good and kind of uh, diving back into that a little bit but sometimes just talking about uh movies and dorking out on a on a certain topic is uh, is fun and um yeah. with, without doing too deep of dive yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, well, yeah. Check check out their show. It's a it's a great fit, and I, I think most people that enjoy this show would enjoy yours. I mean, we're all into physical media for the most part. Well, I mean, I, I before this show was started, you guys were definitely an inspiration uh, to do ours. I mean, I listened to you guys uh, pretty consistently, and some of the other guys that um, you know add their shows in. You know, uh, uh, David Blakesley and. Mm-hmm. and and you know his show. I li- I love his new show, Inside the Box. Yes, yeah, uh, is great. Um, so yeah, you guys were definitely in, uh, you know kind of pushed me in this direction too. So thank you, yeah. guys. <laughs> You're welcome. Don't make me cry, Stephen. We oh, just God. started. <laughs> well, wait, wait, we're not on video, so it's not. Gonna, <laughs> That's true. We, we'll That's never true. know. I guess you will never know. I'll, I'll cry when I'm editing. Um, <laughs> but no, thrilled thr- thr- to inspire any anything uh, constructive and and positive that will um, get more. More info about uh, media out to people. So, love what you're doing. Um, with without further ado, let's dive in. Um, I've said dive in like five times so far. I don't know why that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, one one uh, uh, announcement. I I think this is pretty cool. Uh, Letterbox now has a, a a way to have uh, like publications kind of uh, join their um join join really. It's almost like Facebook has pages. Uh, Letterbox has this as well, and um, Criterion Cast has a Letterbox profile, so you can actually get episodes there. and uh, And there's some lists uh, that are are pretty relevant, I think, to most Criterion um, cinephiles. So I'll put a link there. In fact, this episode will be up there as well. So it's just a another way to uh, interact with um with uh, yeah with with the Criterion Cast. In fact, I think if you if you look at their followers. You'll you'll find most of the people that are involved with the show too, so that's that's pretty cool. If you want to just follow what we're doing, um, I, lo- I love I love Letterboxd. I mean, it's it's um, I'm just I'm I, I think you guys talked about this maybe an episode or two ago about um, how you organize your collections. Yeah, yeah, um, that was yeah, with David. I, yeah, 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 and I think I, I definitely want to do that. Like, I, I think I'm gonna eventually get all my collection into Letterboxd. It's just it's a big task. So. 
<laughs> What's funny is uh, I, I that episode, I, I think I'd spent maybe three, four hours working on that. Guess how much time I've spent on that since? Uh, none. None. <laughs> so, uh, the idea was good. I don't think I, I, mean, I have so many discs. Uh, it just would take. It's it's yeah. It's overwhelming, and that and also that was when Blu-ray.com was down, and fortunately they're back up. Uh, did not realize how much I missed them. Andrew, you know, you know, you. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That was uh, that was a dark time for me because I'm literally there every single day as mm-hmm. the first thing I go to when I open my computer or on my phone. I'll even have it just a tab open of it just at all times, just in case I need to refer back to it or go on a deep dive about researching something. Like if I want to see, you know, how many Blu-rays does a specific actor have, you know, who's putting out what, where, all that kind of research. So when it was down for like two weeks or a while, yeah. Yeah, and it was, it was just while. like I had no other place to go to get that information. There are other websites, but not one that is as easily usable or as organized. Um, so that was a big dark time for me yeah, and I'm sure yeah, many I'm other glad people are back up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's actually <laughs> blu-ray.com is a really well-built website. And I, I think that they, you know, you can never predict downtime, but I think what they did is they behind the scenes, uh, improved some functionality too. So hopefully that won't happen again. Um, and yeah, I have all, my entire collection logged there. So definitely don't want to lose that. Uh, it's, yeah, it feels weird that a website is, um, uh, really, as we talked about with David, like that's my insurance. So if if something ever happened, I would point to Blu-ray and say, "Hey, insurance, this is what I had." Yep. But, mm-hmm. Yep. Same here. So let's, uh, in the spirit of this episode, let's dive into the um, August announcements criterion. And uh, I'm I'm glad that you guys are here, and I've already talked about this because this is a weird month where I've seen one of these, uh, but. I am due to see it again, so I, I probably have less to say. Although I certainly can talk about some of these, but um, I hope you've seen something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we'll start with uh, Afterlife. Uh, it's Karita, uh, who is no stranger to the collection. With uh, let's see, um, still walking, and I think he has one other one, right? I, I think it's I just think, still I, walking. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think it is just still walking, which is brilliant. And I've seen a few of his other films, um, but this is one uh, one of my blind spots. So I'm actually thrilled this is coming because it's yeah. Would, can't wait to see a new uh, Carita. So um, have have you either of you seen it? Uh, I've seen it. Um, yeah, I know Stephen has. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fantastic film, um, and it, and it really um, to me, you know, because we've when we've talked about Corietta before. Um, you know, he's kind of sometimes uh, compared to Ozu. You know, he's very mm-hmm. meditative. Um, and he, a lot of his movies are about, uh, you know, family and dysfunctional mm-hmm. families. And, and in this film, not so much about the dysfunctional family thing, but um, it, it, it definitely has a meditativeness. And it's, a you know, kind of about um, where life and art kind of can meet, um, specifically filmmaking. That, which is what's so great about this movie because if you don't guys don't know what the movie's about um basically there's this like um you know almost like a social worker type of setup uh in the afterlife and people souls of people that come through uh basically sit down with social workers and they ask them what's their happiest memory and hmm. basically it's up to them to uh literally uh, recreate the their happiest memory in a filmmaking way where they film it and then they show it to the 
person and then they go on into their afterlife with that that happy memory um and it's so it's a very just awesome kind of like splits the you know that that line between filmmaking and and life and like it's just it's a beautiful movie it really is it's it's <laughs> it might it I, I i'm not sure if it's my favorite creative film but it's it's up there interesting yeah and that the does not sound like the, the no, not like nobody knows or like like father yeah. like son um or you know still walking or, or shoplifters or anything like that I, um that sounds almost like uh experimental a little, a little yeah, bit yeah it's a, a little it? bit yeah okay um have you seen and it I, what's, Andrew when I was going to say one thing that's really cool about it too is that he actually um uses some real like uh, real when he's having conversations the social workers are having conversations with the people um, about their memories, some of the people are not actors, and some of them are actually real people. So I thought that was kind of an interesting Neat. thing I learned about it. <clears throat> uh, what about you, Andrew? I've not seen it. The only Coretta I've seen has been Still Walking and Shoplifters. And I've, I've told this to Stephen many times, you know, I think both on air and off air, is his films are really difficult to find in non-physical media yeah. form. Like, You're you right. can't really stream these anywhere, not even on the Criterion Channel streaming service or anything like that. So basically, you have to get these releases or do what Steven did, uh, which is go overseas and get them, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> we still don't have a Shoplifters Blu-ray here in the the U.S., which I think is just baffling to me because that movie came out, what, two, three years ago now? It seems yeah. like forever ago. Maybe that's a future Criterion release. Who knows? That would be great. Yeah, I, I, in fact, you're you're right. I, I bought a lot of uh, Region B Creator films as well. I don't think nobody knows is even out overseas. Maybe there's a um, it's know, um, Japanese say, version. It's, it's it's in the it's in a BFI set. Okay. Um, uh, of Corietta called uh, f- uh, from uh, Flesh and Blood. Oh, okay. Um, I think I have that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I, in that set. If I'm not mistaken, I saw that in theaters. Actually, it's uh, yeah. It's a that's a hard film to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is certainly. But uh, yeah, it's probably a different uh, vibe than this one. Uh, interesting features. There's a, a commentary, and I, I like that they're going back to commentaries. It seemed like for a while we were only getting, you know, the ones that were on prior discs. That and that who knows that might be the case. Although there's another commentary I'm going to talk about shortly that I'm really really interested in. Um, this is from film scholar Linda Ehrlich. I don't know if she's related to David Ehrlich. That's that's the same last name, right? The critic. That's the same spelling. Sure. Yeah. So maybe Sorry. maybe 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 that's his mom. I don't know. Uh, or maybe it's his daughter. Who knows? Uh, uh, so, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, there's interviews uh, with uh, Corieta, um, stills photographer, cinematographer, and then uh, deleted scenes. So um, what do you guys think of the cover art? Uh, it's, you know, I guess it's a combination of, I don't know if it's, I'm assuming both of them are, are, are still pictures from the film. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming, but um, yeah. I mean, it's it, it does it is a very symbolic kind of um way of looking at the movie. Um, you know, kind of looking at the empty chair like the the memory is like you know the person that was in that chair had that was their memory, and now they're they've they've gone into the afterlife. Is kind of what I'm seeing in that that picture and in the cover. So yeah, I mean, it's I like it. Yeah, I, I didn't quite get it, but when you described the film, uh, I, I figured there was some sort of connection that uh, would make sense. So, um, yeah. So maybe I'll, I'll look at the cover afterward and, and reserve judgment until then. But I think it <laughs> looks great. Um, uh, although I'm not, I'm not a cover hater, as you'll find. 
Um, yeah, sometimes that that gets people to change. They they every once in a while, yeah, they get enough hate, they change the cover. Um, yes, which is interesting. They certainly yeah. do. That yeah. happened with Tree of Life, I think. I think the original uh, Tree yeah. of Life for Criterion was different, and then people complained about it, and they changed it. Happened yeah. with Itumama Tamien, and then the the notorious uh, um, what was the uh, the Lubitsch? Uh, Clint, is it Brown? Clint, um, Clooney Brown, yeah. Clooney so, Brown. Which that one was tough for me because I'm friends with that artist. So I was <laughs> like, oh, I hope she's hope she handled that okay. I, I thought it was good, especially the, the redesign. I thought it looked great. But all right, and then August 17th is Original Cast Album Company. Uh, I said I haven't seen this. I did watch the documentary now um, episode on it, and I was completely lost. Uh, so so I, I think that this, that might be one where you have to see the film and to really get that episode. Uh, are you guys documentary now fans? I know of it and I know the premise of it, but I haven't watched it, but I did watch this in like preparation for our podcast and this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine what they would be satirizing. It's a very, like you kind of have to, the the movie itself feels like, like inside baseball. Like you kind of have to know like the background of musical theater or be like perhaps have some experience with that and you'll get like more out of the film. I rather enjoyed it. I I, I, I think it's interesting because it's really short. Mm-hmm. It is 53 minutes long and it, and it kind of just ends. <laughs> like it's just, there's no story to it. It's just like, it feels like a clip, like a clips show or something like that <laughs> where people, it's just different moments of this recording of of this um musical company and Stephen Sondheim is in there and he's just they're just people going over and over different songs and stuff. Um it, it's really fascinating. I kind of hope, just looking at the special features, if there was just more never never before seen footage or never before seen music or something like that, because I, I wanted more of it. Hmm. Um, it's really fascinating. And I think, and what's really cool about it is it is done by D.A. Pennebaker, who right. is a really well-known documentarian. Um, he's got you know, several movies on the Criterion Collection, uh, Bob Dylan, the Bob Dylan documentary, Don't Look Now, uh, Complete Monterey Pop is him, uh, Tom, uh, uh, Tom Bloody Hall is him, and The War Room, which is a political documentary, um, is all him. And... It's very. It, there's a very interesting context around it that he kind of bookends the documentary with, um, like blurbs about, like, like how this came about and and whatnot. It's really fascinating. Uh, Stephen, I think Stephen has seen it as well. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I I, I kind of I, I I've rather enjoyed it too, but kind of more from a from a uh, personal experience because I mean I wasn't in really into theater, but I I was a chorus kid, so kind of this behind the scenes kind of like trying to get a recording down uh, is something that I've experienced and it's it's stressful, <laughs> <laughs> um, especially when you're with a group of people and you're they're all depending on you to get it right so that they can go home. Yeah. Um. You know, right, it's very right. stressful, and th- so you get to see a lot of that in this film, um, where people have been recording for hours upon hours, and you got to think also these musicians are playing the music for them for hours upon hours, and 
you know, they just can't, there's certain parts where you're just like, they just can't get something or they can't capture the emotionality that they can, that, you know, cause they're trying to capture what they do on stage, but on a, an audio recording. So it's not, it's not easy. Um, yeah, apparently so, it was 19 hours of, of them sitting around in the studio recording, re-recording, you know, going over stuff and just trying to make it as perfect as possible. Like this is a real, like, you know, um, successful musical production in company. And, you know, Stephen Sondheim was, did, did all the music for it. He's one of the, you know, the great musical composers of all time and, and all that stuff. But there are just moments in it, brief moments in it, where you can just see the people are just, like, exhausted. <laughs> They're just, <laughs> yeah. like, like, like lounging on chairs, like, couldn't, like, not being able to move. Um, and there's one particular scene, which I'm pretty sure they must have parodied in the Documentary Now episode, it's the the ladies who lunch, uh, which is like the climax of this, where this woman is trying to nail this like yes. this number, and she just can't do it, and and she's they're doing it over and over again, and it's really fascinating how like they're they're every time she goes in for a take, you just see the people behind the scenes go, it's just not working, <laughs> it's just not working. Mm. Um, I really like that there's also like a wealth of special features on here too. So it makes it worth buying, even though it's so short. Because that's one yeah. of the things that sometimes they'll release like shorter movies. Like there's that Renoir film that's really short. That was one of his unfinished films. And, Day in the Country. Yeah, Day in the Country, and that's really short. And it's it just I think probably the special features are more fascinating than the actual movie on that. Ooh, I, <laughs> that's that's a that's a big disagree. I, no, I know I've features, seen the movie. It's actually amazing I, for what yeah, it is. Yeah. But I'm just like I'm more fascinated with like the backstory great, as to why yeah. why was it never finished? You yeah, know, that one the... that film does have quite a story. Yeah, that one ended up on on our best of the year list. I think we uh, we we were big Renoir fans here. But yeah, yeah you mentioned the features. Uh, so speaking of commentaries, we have a new one uh, from C Stephen Sondheim, and it, it, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Michael Hutchins. You know, he he uh, has a Sondheim guide website. So and also Will Remmers is a big fan of company. So um, sh shout out to them for um, they've probably been waiting for this for a long time. But there's also a commentary with uh, Pennebaker and Stritch, and I believe Stritch is the, the person you reference, yes, uh, Andrew. Elaine regarding Stritch. Elaine Stritch, yeah, and Harold, Harold Prince. Uh, uh, and then yeah, some new conversations, some interviews, uh, lots of stuff. And then of course the documentary now episode. And if you guys take anything away from this. It's a funny show. <laughs> it is really, really funny. And I think this is the second Documentary Now uh, episode that's been on a disc. The first one was uh, Salesman, uh, or which was Globesman. Um, and then um, I, I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, it, the return of the cast and crew uh, co-op recording it in, recorded in 2020. I think this might be like one of those COVID, uh, you know, uh, there are a lot of like uh, script readings kind of things. This might have been like a... a, a a Zoom call, maybe. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, if it's recorded in 2020, that it's very likely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes I don't love those, but I think this one I, I'll, I'll dig. So, and then of course the cover. Uh, I mean, it looks very Broadway-ish to me. But uh, <laughs> uh, what do you think? Yeah, I like the cover. It's it's uh, you know it does look very theatrical, very vibrant. Mm -hmm. You know, it just shows. You know, in, in the letters it shows you know, kind of each key play, all the key players oh, cool. kind of doing their thing. Yeah. I could see that being like the, um, the, the Broadway poster just without the wacky C. 
and yeah. uh, and obviously not Pennebaker, but yeah, super looking forward to that one. Uh, big blind spot for me, especially since I've seen most of Pennebaker's. And then um, we're going to Poland in uh, August 24th. We have Ashes and Diamonds. This is the one I have seen, but and I really liked it, but I don't remember much about it. Uh, has it, that ever happened to you? you <laughs> All the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it won't be like going in fresh, but because I, I, I do remember bits and pieces of it, but uh, I remember it being go- really good. Um, but uh, lo- looking forward to getting back to this one. Have you, you guys seen it? Or have you seen any other watch? I've seen, um, I watched, uh, this is like the third part of his uh, war trilogy. Yeah. But it's all films like set in like occupied Poland during World War II. Um, and I had never seen any of Andre Vida's films before. And then just this past week, I decided to watch all three of them back to back to back. And nice. I don't recommend that for a lot of people because <laughs> it'll take a lot out of you. Because d- these films, hard films. are, yeah. yeah, they're harsh, they're cold, they're depressing, and they're <laughs> really gritty. Like, like you feel like you're just there through this agonizing period in Polish history and Ashes and Diamonds is the last one in the trilogy and it's it's the one that I think was like kind of really punctuated the whole the whole thing because it takes place literally on the last day of the war there's literally a scene in the movie where uh, they announce over the like like the radio in the middle of the town square that Germany has surrendered the war is over and then you get just kind of like this this, the post-war vacuum just starts up right away where who's going to take over power where. You've got the communists moving in. You've got, like, um, demo- like democratic uh, Polish, like, uh, politicians and political people in there. And and the whole film takes a place around an assassination of a communist, like, politician or commissaire or something that's coming in. And it's just these two men, like, like bar- battling this moral dilemma as to what to do with their lives like do, is this really what their lives are going to be just being political assassinate assassinators and just you know what's the what's the the moral decay of that you know hmm. once you do this you have to go into hiding and you can't really live a normal life it's really a thought-provoking film and i just love how each of these films take place like literally in the rubble of the streets of these Polish towns and the Polish countryside and stuff like that. It really puts you entrenched in there. It reminded me a lot of Roberto Rossellini's uh, war trilogy that he did like right, right at the end of the actual, you know, World mm-hmm. War II in, in Italy and just like literally right in the, right in the rubble of it all. So I, I really like these movies a lot, but yeah, going into them, know that these are going to be dark and depressing movies. Yeah, and sort of a it's it's bittersweet for me because I, I I even though I don't remember Ashes and Diamonds as well, I, I love Canal and the Generation. In fact, I think one of my favorite shots in in uh, in film is the opening of Canal. There's just a phenomenal shot uh, for like the first ten minutes or so, um, and that was a Criterion DVD box set, three three war films. So um, so yeah, the, what's bittersweet is that the other two are not uh, not getting released. Um, I think Ashes and Diamonds are, was his most famous. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna complain. Better, better something than nothing. But, uh, but yeah, I do. I, if people like uh, this, uh, I, although I would say they're kind of different films in a way. Um, uh, but I think, yeah, Canal is more like, 
I'm trying to think of something similar. Uh, maybe like a less intense come and see, maybe. Yeah, uh, it really is. E- each film seems to take uh, like take one aspect of the political underground warfare of Poland. Like the first film, A Generation, is about like like underground resistance movements and just like stuff like that. The second one is more active, like army stuff. And the third one is like a more intimate personal mm-hmm. story. Yeah. That's, that, the, that's that, the way I kind of viewed them. Yeah, that uh, that resonates. And so, uh, yeah, I think the features are pretty much copied from the DVD, uh, except for there's a new video essay um, by Insdorf. So uh, Annette Insdorf, she did the commentary on the original DVD uh, on the film's legacy. So, um, yeah, looking forward to this one. Uh, it'll be not quite a fresh watch. Uh, Stephen, do you have anything to add? I haven't seen. No, I haven't seen it. Uh, but I, I, as I talked with Andrew on our on our podcast, that his description of it makes me really want to watch it and watch all all these films. And uh, one factoid I did I did find out about this movie that was kind of kind of cool was that the uh, lead actor uh, and you'll have to help me with the name Z- Zibanoa Zaboyski. Oh, uh, you're on you're on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. It, that's what it looks like. Zibanoa Zibinu, yeah, um, Zaboyski. That's what it looks like. But um, apparently the director um, was a was a fan of James Dean, so he hmm. uh, directed that lead actor in this film very much like James Dean, and of I, course the iconic like sunglasses look throughout this whole movie uh, apparently shot the sunglasses uh, sales way up. Um, interesting, I could totally see yeah. that. I have yeah. uh, that's the part <laughs> I remember is uh, he was uh, uh, cool as ice. Um, yeah, <laughs> and the cover, uh, yeah, I. I guess it's okay. Uh, I have a, a Region B version. I, f- I forget who put it out. I, I think it was Masters of Cinema. I think it's... Uh, uh, no, wait. No. You might be right. Yeah. Yeah. I can. I, yeah. So that's where I, I watched it. So it's been a few years. But um, Anyway, looking forward to getting back to it. And and yeah, one, one of the things is we only had four titles this month. So, But I think they're really four uh, diverse titles, uh, really all over the place. So the last one, which is coming out on August 31st, is Beasts of No Nation. Uh, Corey Fukunaga, or I believe I'm pronouncing it, Fukunaga, who has done really great great work. He did the first season of True Detective. Uh, what else did he do? Um, uh, Jane Eyre was Jane his Eyre, first film. Right. Film, yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, he did something else. Googling, which is not exactly... He did do the new James Bond movie, which hasn't come out yet. Oh, yeah. He, he did uh, Sinabre, and uh, let's see. Yeah. He was, he was going to do... Didn't he do It, or he was going to do It? <clears throat> I think he had involvement with It. So, yeah, he was uh, going to do it, and then initially. he left the project. Yeah. I think, yes. So I think he got a producer credit on that, or a writing credit on that. But like I said, he's doing No Time to Die, which is the James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Um so he's done a lot more TV. Fifty times. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and True Detective, uh, he he did just a phenomenal job on the first season. And I remember the second season, they uh, brought in a, a new director, and it was just you know it it was completely different. The quality of the show plummeted. So this is one of those um, perpetual Netflix cues. <laughs> I so it's been on my queue for a while, and I just haven't watched it. So, uh, but. Problem solved. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> disc will will help it. So, uh, have you guys seen it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a while. I watched it when it first came out uh, on Netflix. I think 2015. So, it's been a minute. Um, but I do remember it being uh, a very 
harrowing film and very very powerful and um the 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 main actor in it the the uh, that plays the child soldier is um does a, a fantastic job and um uh yeah i mean it's like i said it's been a while like you said for the last movie it's been a while since i've seen it so i can't really recall too much about it other than how i felt afterwards and that it was was it was really good so nice andrew might have more to say about it yeah i saw it when it came out as well um and this was an important film i think in a lot of ways uh, not only specifically for netflix where it was one of the their first like real dips into real quality uh putting on quality movies i mean and this was one i, I talked about with steven before uh, on our show where uh, I think they acquired this, I think, from some uh, film festival, whether it was Sundance or South by Southwest or something like that. But it was it was one of their first steps into acquiring um, movies, m- movies for distribution. And then, of course, now they make their own stuff. And now they're just like this giant company that's yep. doing everything, <laughs> basically. And this was kind of their first foray into that. And kind of their first foray into perhaps acquiring or developing or, or putting out... Um, like movies that could possibly be awards contenders, and now mm-hmm. now they do that all the time. But I remember this movie being really powerful. Uh, Abraham Atta is the little boy's name, the young actor. This was his first film. I remember he was uh, really lauded for it. I think he got nominated for um, Independent Spirit Award or something like that. But I also remember uh, Idris Elba being in the movie, and he's kind of mm-hmm. this ruthless, um, like ar- like guerrilla army commander, you know, who's like just basically capturing all these young children to make like child soldiers and stuff like that in Africa. Um, it's a really harrowing film and I'm really glad that it's getting a release finally because it came out in 2015, which was, you know, six years ago or so and it had, it's had no physical media release at all. Yeah. And Atta and Elba both won Indie Spirits, as you mentioned. Ah. Yeah. And, and uh, what's interesting is this, I remember this one being a, um, you know, a candidate for Oscars and you know, don't get me started on Oscars, especially 2016, because that was, I think, during the Oscars So White period. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, maybe if if they did it again today with the new membership and the new values, that maybe it would uh, have a better shot. Um, but it's also, yeah, you're, as you pointed out, it's uh, it was one of the early Netflix art films, and now um, we're we're seeing a ton of Netflix uh, features come to the collection. Um, and we have been teased a few that have not come out yet, like Atlantix. American Factory. I think there might be one other one. Uh, so this was a surprise, but uh, and and some people complain about Netflix movies coming to Criterion because it's not um, they're not um, they're already available, readily available on Netflix. But um, when I look at these features, I have no complaints here. So so yeah, we got three commentaries this this month with um, uh, one with uh, Fukunaga and uh, his AD John Mallard. And then two documentaries about the film, a conversation, an interview with the costume designer. Um, so yeah, it looks like a, a pretty stacked disc for uh, for Netflix. And I think that I think that with, with the Netflix films, they've they've gone overboard with the features with the supplements, which I th- think yeah makes sense. You know, gives yeah. it, makes it valuable to buy. So yeah, good a good month, but but a short month. So um, any um, yeah, and them do- and them documentaries are going to be I think very interesting. The little bit I know about the making of the movie is, I mean, like I know that um, Carrie Fukunaga actually got malaria while filming this film. Oh, wow. Um, and then also, I know they had a lot of trouble filming when they were over there um, 
uh, because they were some of the actors were getting arrested uh, in suspicion for being mercenaries. So they had to actually hire real soldiers to play the characters in some oh, wow. of the, some of the parts. And then I think the DP before shooting got injured, so Carrie had to to step in as DP for the movie. So he does everything in the you know he does DP directs he writes you know. So I mean it's I'm sure there's some interesting stories in them documentaries. Yeah, I, th- I think he's an immense talent, and I, I, I he hasn't done a lot since then. I think he's done some TV. Uh, so, yeah, really glad he's getting um, recognized here in the collection. So, yeah, four titles, but four uh, really strong ones, in my opinion. I think it's a great month. Uh, what do you guys think? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, there's a good chance I'm buying all of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, I've already ordered them. <laughs> pretty oh, pretty yeah. quickly. <clears throat> and, gonna, and uh, for the, yeah, I was going to oh, say, go I, I wish they were coming out during the Barnes & Noble sale, but... I guess I'll have to wait till November. The criteria. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah, no, I know. I, 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 I felt like I got in a queue. I almost teed that up it. for you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah it might be after. I, I will. I, I don't know if you all know that uh, there's a 30% discount sale from Criterion themselves going through May, and that applies to pre-orders. So um, it's, it generally gets you to the same price as Amazon when it's released, but uh, you also get the bonus points. So, you know, yeah. I probably by the time uh, this goes out, it will be pretty late in the month. So I don't know if uh, how how much opportunity you'll have to take advantage. But yeah, that was nice. I've I ordered all mine from Criterion. So that's that's August, uh, good month. So let's switch gears. Uh, one thing that's interesting, and just for transparency, we're recording this at at seven p.m. on a Sunday night, and. This morning, I got an email about a Criterion Channel live event, the first one, which coincidentally was 7 p.m. on a Sunday night. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for the notice, guys. But Ah. and we don't talk about the channel much here. Josh does a great job with his uh, Criterion Channel surfing podcast, so you know I kind of leave that to him. But I think it's kind of a kind of a cool idea. Uh, They're doing the Manchurian Candidate, and yes, it's happening right this second. So, um, but. Oddly, with CNN's Jake Tapper, and I'm just going to click over there and see if he's tweeting. So apparently, like, we watch the film and we, we live tweet. So I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? Uh, that's tough for me, guys. I don't know. I'm, first of all, I'm not really a Twitter user that, that much. But um, on top of that, I, I, I need to stay engaged or I'm going to – I try my best to not even have my phone out when I'm watching watching something that I actually want to watch. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the whole two-screen experience sometimes works for TV, and yeah, I just pulled up his Twitter feed, and he is, like, tweeting every minute, so uh, <laughs> I'm like, how do you focus on the film? Um, yeah, I, I think it's a great, sure, you, good idea. I wonder if it's, like, preset tweets, like he's already got it oh, teed up. certainly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and yeah, he's an odd, odd choice, but, um, I, you know, I think he, he, he's mastered Twitter pretty well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm just watching the tweets just scroll by. There's a ton of them, um, so yeah, hard to hard to um, imagine what that'll be like. I guess hey, if any listeners participate, let us know what it was like. I, I certainly would not do this for a film I had not seen before. Um, yeah, um, but uh, yeah, interesting. I, I, the channel's doing great. I love what they're doing. Um, so, all right, guys. Well, that was that was August in the Criterion Channel. So we'll just kind of quickly run through the uh, recent stuff and the what's coming up. So recently we had um, Merrily We Go to Hell, 
Uh, and we had fast times at Ridgemont High and the Flowers of Shanghai. Can't wait for the latter. Um, it's uh, on its way to my house. I, it's going to go. <laughs> oh, nice. Maybe not not right in the player, but pretty quickly. I, that's my uh, top of my list. What about you guys? I'm sure you've seen Great. Fast Times. Go ahead, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Um, Merrily We Go to Hell, the Dorothy Arzner film, is definitely something I want to add to the collection. Um, probably going to be a high priority for me at the um, the Criterion sale, just because um, I, I'm just fascinated by Dorothy Arzner and all that kind of stuff. She was probably the only female director or woman director who mm-hmm. was making movies during the old Hollywood period in that in that kind of like 30s, 40s, 50s, 50s realm then Ida Lupino started making films but she was kind of one of the probably the only one and it's not the first time that she's been um in the collection I think this is her second film yeah Dance Girl serves. Dance is, yes was really good yeah she it's it's really sad you know all of classic Hollywood sound period you have two I think it is um is it really until um really the 70s I believe I could be mistaken, but yeah. Yeah, yeah that's very uh, true. What is fascinating about that is the pre-sound period, the silent era, yeah. was filled with women directors, just absolutely filled. Um, and there, and most of them are kind of, you know, a, a little bit forgotten because a lot of people don't aren't as interested in, you know, the silent era. Yeah, it's good stuff, but but the men took over. The men with suits. <laughs> uh, do you have anything for the, the, this batch, Stephen? Yeah, uh, I mean, not, I mean... Fast Times, of course, was kind of a, I wouldn't say necessarily a childhood favorite, but it's its something that I caught when I was a kid that I, you know, you kind of go back to it. It's kind of, I mean, kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not better than Dazed and Confused, but it's kind of got that same kind of part of my mind is something that I really like, but um, it might not be a right away by, I mean, I, I, I like the movie, but it's, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, I like Cameron Crowe mm-hmm. and he, he wrote that film. So, yeah. I mean, well, I like um, uh, I like um, Amy Heckerling, who directed that film. Speaking of women film directors, yeah, because um, it does have a very female, you know, perspective, very woman perspective, you know, young te- uh, revolving around a young teenager at that time. It's also like kind of a quintessential coming of age film, if you will. Um, it's yeah, I I was I was surprised actually when it got announced. Um, I probably shouldn't be because it's a Universal title. And Universal and Criterion seem to have a great relationship where they just, you know, when one has a Blu-ray that comes out several years later, it ends up on Criterion. That's happened so many times over the years. Um, I'm really interested in getting getting that release sometime soon. I love the – talk about a cover. It's just a very Mm -hmm. flashy, very flashy cover. So I – Yeah, I was going to say, Merrily Goes to Hell – uh, I, I haven't seen uh, Dance Girl Dance, and I haven't seen this film, but um, it does sound like something I'd be really into. I mean, it kind of, and I, it sounds like it's a very personal, like kind of like movie about drinking, and um, you know, it kind of made me think of The Lost Weekend mm. um, a little bit. Mm. You know, he's like a newspaper man that is trying to get, you know, he's a drunkard, and then some woman comes into his life to kind of saves him. Um, I like films about alcoholism. I don't know why. I've never <laughs> been an alcoholic, so maybe it's because I've never experienced it. But um, living through them vicariously, I guess. Ah, uh, yes, that's. I guess that's it. Yeah, I've, I've always wanted to be an alcoholic, but I, you know, just, <laughs> just didn't have, have the never, time. Yeah, I don't have the time. I think it. Frederick March is a great actor. I yeah. think it's one of the better ones. That I think that kind of gets lost in a lot of the more famous and heightened names, but he was around during the same era. 
and he was making fantastic films. Yeah, uh, we had Jill Blake on, and she's a Frederick March scholar. Oh, and yeah. She, uh, she spoke uh, very highly of this. Uh, yeah, film. I so, follow yeah, her. I've been, been looking forward to it. I, actually, it's downstairs. I haven't watched it. I have watched Fast Times, and uh, I hadn't seen it for a while. Um, I, and I even watched the commentary. I think the commentary was with Crow and um, Heckerling. And I, I was surprised by how good it was or how much I enjoyed it. Um, of course, there's the iconic. Um, scene the the bathing suit scene and, mm-hmm. and with um uh judge reinhold and you know in hindsight i thought that was a really racy scene you know by today's standards it actually not that racy but it was actually yeah. I, just the way it was filmed it's actually a pretty effective scene um and you get some comedy out of it uh not, yeah. not in a per- pervy way just yeah uh, not in a it's yeah, it's fascinating you say that not to go on a tangent here because steven usually, usually has to reel me in because i'll just go off on things here we go but <laughs> That whole sequence is a daydream fantasy, and it's played mm-hmm. like that. It plays like it a is. music video, <laughs> if you will, and it's just really, really dreamy, like you said. Um, but yep. yeah, I know Jill Blake because I follow her on social media and stuff, and she's fantastic. Yep, she's she's cool people. So um, she'll she'll be happy to hear you um you liked uh, uh you like Freddie March. So. And coming soon, we have Nightmare Alley, The Human Condition, and Streetwise Tiny. So uh, anything on these, guys? Uh, Nightmare Alley, I think, is a big yeah, anticipated think, yeah. one for a lot of yeah. people. I, I agree. Uh, human Condition is a long one. Uh, I, <laughs> well, that's uh, a, I'm a big... That's enough. I love Kobayashi. Yeah, I love Kobayashi, but I, I think we, me and Andrew both haven't seen it yet, and we're, we were waiting on a Blu-ray release. Yeah, that's yeah. been on DVD forever. I've well, always remembered seeing that. Criterion DVD. Um, I actually have have two copies. I have the Criterion DVD, and I have the um, <clears throat> uh, Region B. I think Arrow. The thing was Arrow, yeah. So uh, yeah. which has has not been watched, but I, I promise, I'm commit. I'm gonna watch it. The Criterion. <laughs> <laughs> Third time's a charm, and yeah, Streetways Tiny looks looks interesting. Um, I, I love those documentaries that kind of explore these um, these groups that otherwise don't get much um, exposure. Yeah, uh, yeah. And for Kobayashi, under- I don't mean to cut you off, but for Kobayashi, everybody go watch Harakiri. Oh, agreed. I, yeah, I, yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's, the, it's amazing. It's, yeah, it's a masterpiece. It's like, I mean, quite quite amazing too. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has he has a bunch. I'm I'm a, a Kobayashi fan as well. Um, so yeah, good stuff coming out, and and there's even even better stuff after that. So we had um, a, a closet video come out in the last couple of weeks, which uh, Isabel Sandoval, Sandoval, who's um, who, I haven't seen her movies. Um, she is. I know she had one. She actually referenced it in the um, in her video uh, because she she was up for the uh, Cassavetes Award for the. Um, uh, uh, indie spirits, so it must have been recently recorded. I, I think Criterion, you know, there must be some sort of no- normalcy. Um, so that's great. More closet videos go Criterion website. Thank you. That's speaking of running jokes. Yeah, talking about yeah, yeah. Talk about a foundational thing. I think for a lot of Criterion fans and collectors, were those closet videos uh, because that's where I first started at, at like just hearing recommendations from famous people. <laughs> that was really mm-hmm. how it all started for me. But I think the first one, Robert Downey Sr., I think was the one of the first ones, hmm. if, I, 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 if I, I recall. I've probably seen it, but I, <clears throat> I forget. The one thing is you, you, you forget those. Um, I watched yeah, the she, things. She, I've rewatched them so many times. Really? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're great. Um, I've had two people on that have had closet videos, I think, um, and uh, it's fun to talk to them about the that. Um, 
yeah, she had some good stuff. Uh, some uh, she has really great taste, and um, and of course I was, I was pleased that she chose uh, Varda because I think the Varda set is just a, a marvel. It's one of the best things I think I've purchased in the last couple of years, and I, I thought it was funny how she randomly chose one and got Quadrophenia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, I don't know if that's your taste, but go with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've what, seen what, her films actually. Oh, Be- yeah. Because recently I started following her on Twitter, I think like earlier this year. And I watched uh, Senorita, I watched Apparition, and I watched uh, Lingua Franca, which is her which is her most recent feature. That's the mm-hmm. film that got nominated for the Cassavetes Award at the Independent Spirit Awards. And yeah, her films are, are good. Like they're really fascinating, fascinating, great films. Um, and it just, it. I always love watching filmmakers in order like their films in chronological order because you can see the progression of like their craft and of like their thematic depth and different like things that they're perhaps going through or trying to explore and it's really really interesting journey that i went on like apparition uh she i think she said that that film is her bergman film and it's very bergman-esque and it feels like it um so seeing her like in the closet choosing all those films was really fascinating for me, just to see what her tastes were. Um, really interesting is that she's a fan of Richard Linklater and hadn't seen Dazed and Confused yet. That <laughs> yeah, seems to be yeah. the first one everyone sees. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and I just usually by about. And, and, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say, and usually by accident. Dazed and Confused is something you just watch because you it was there. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it was on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Certainly, her her taste speaks to her. Uh, her, you know that that pedigree of filmmaking. So, um, see, so yeah, I'm excited to see her films, and I think she has a great career uh, ahead of her. Uh, so, yeah, both of her film, or uh, Senorita and Apparition, I think, are both on the Criterion Channel, and Lingua Franca is on Netflix. If nice. people are interested, and may- maybe that's another Netflix that uh, might uh, might hit the collection. Who knows? Um, now, let's get to some rumors. Well, actually, these aren't really rumors. These are these are basically confirmations of new. Uh, upcoming releases, which is, um, and I'm, I'm excited about all of these. Uh, we knew that uh, story, Melvin Van Peebles' uh, Story of a Three-Day Pass was coming out. It, it's already been on Janus Films. But IndieWire leaked that um, there's actually going to be a Van Peebles box set with, um, uh, it's going to have, uh, I think they list it, um, Sweetback. Uh, yeah, it's going to have, yeah, Watermelon Man, which I just bought. <laughs> I think the indicator. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, sweet, sweet back. Don't play as cheap. And three day pass. Uh, and along with his son's film, badass. I, I don't know how to say that, <laughs> but um, uh, a, a biopic about the making of Sweet Back. I think I saw that, and it was, it was pretty good. Um, and then of course shorts and a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah, I was thrilled to hear hear this news. I've only seen Sweet Back. Heard great things about three day pass, but um, yeah, I love seeing Van Peebles in the collection. Uh, have you guys seen much of his work? I haven't seen anything. I, I haven't. I know of him, and I know of his son, but I haven't seen um, a lot of his work. But I have seen his son's film that he did, New Jack City, with Wesley oh, right. Snipes. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. But very I, different vibe. <laughs> very different vibes. But but it really goes to show because it, for those of you like I, I hate to bring this up again because we're all talking about physical media, but. On the Criterion channel, they have so many films with uh, in black cinema, specifically mm-hmm. from that that time period, the 70s, and just like 
just this independent era of cinema that doesn't really get brought up a lot or explored a lot when it comes to independent cinema. And I just find it fascinating that we're getting it on there and we're also getting uh, physical releases from Criterion. Um, yeah. So I'm, this is a welcome box set because this is brand new stuff for me. Me too. I, I, I had a, a professor who he um, had done a, his dissertation or whatever it was when he was in school on um, black exploitation in the mm. 70s. So he had a lot of interesting things to say about that. Now, the one thing is, I, I sweep, Sweetback became, you know, basically, it's not black exploitation, but it became a, you know, a favorite black movie. Um, and it was very successful. Uh, and I think I, I watched a documentary about it, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it was very fascinating. But um, but Van Peebles, he was inspired by, you know, the French New Wave, uh, a lot of a lot of the, the, the art films that we like. So it's uh, it's kind of an interesting, uh, interesting taste what what uh, comes to screen and Sweetback is very Godardian um, so uh, yeah I'm looking forward to exploring more of his films and yeah I was really thrilled to hear that that news and speaking of really thrilled I always love when a, when a Czech film comes a Czech classic film comes to the collection so we have um, Distant Journey which is by uh, Alfred uh, let's see Roddick 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 yeah I'm not sure Rodok. how to pronounce it Ridok, uh, yeah, he has. I, I don't believe I've, deen, I've seen any of his work before, but um, I did watch the trailer. A very short trailer. Um, looks intriguing. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll like it. But uh, what's interesting is it's from 1950, I believe. Is that right? Yes. So it's early in the uh, the Czech new. Um, I think it actually predates the Czech new wave because that was really the. Uh, I think mostly the 60s, maybe maybe a little bit in the 50s. But any familiarity? No, it does look like it had a maybe had a release already at some point um, from Second Run, maybe. Sec, yeah, undoubtedly. I'm, I might yeah. own it actually. I'm gonna check. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's getting a new, I think, 4K restoration. I th- yeah, yeah. I believe yeah. that's that's yeah. what the trailer's just touting or showing off, kind of like giving yeah, you a little it, taste it, of what it. Yeah, what's it looks look beautiful. Like. Yeah, that it beautiful, looks beautiful. Yeah. black and white cinematography. Yeah. I don't own it, so uh, awesome. <laughs> I, lo- I love Second Run, but uh, you know, any time I can avoid a double purchase. So yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, it looked really crisp, uh, black and white cinema. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that one. And then finally, we have this is complete blind spot for me, but um, we have five Kaz- Katsuo Hara documentaries: uh, Dedicated Life, The Emperor's Naked Mar- Army Marches On, uh, Extreme Private Eros. Goodbye, C- CP, and send an asbestos disaster. Um, so really, uh, really interested in these. Uh, they're really um, documentaries about J- Japan from, you know, and I think the Emperor's Naked Army Marches On is the most significant. Um, it's about uh, Hirohito, I believe. Uh, so, I yeah, we're looking forward to exploring Japanese culture, Japanese history, but I have nothing. I've not seen any of them. I think they played the channel, or they might be on the channel currently. Um, do you guys have anything? Uh, I haven't seen any of these. Um, would this be a box set? You think? I think so. Yeah, um, it would make sense. Um, just because I mean, they're all, they're all, they all seem to be under some type of doc, not only documentary banner, but they're all about something to do with um, either Japanese history or personal history, and mm-hmm. they range from. The early seventies, all the way up to uh, two thousand and sixteen. So it's a range in terms of just time frames of these movie releases. 
Yeah, I would, would imagine a box set. Um, I mean, I'm pretty much when Janice puts out a, uh, a when they tour a, a group of uh, films from a filmmaker, it ends up uh, as a, a collection on a box set. Uh, I guess not always. There's the Vim Vendors. They toured all his films, and we still don't have uh, like hockey one and uh, a couple others. I think so. I forgot about uh, that. I forgot that they had they like I, th- I forgot where it was where Ben Vendor said they basically rescued all of his movies from like mm-hmm. uh, from like the masters or something from somewhere some archive, and I think Criterion has them all now or something like that. And we haven't had a, a Ben Vendor's release in several years. I think until the end of the world was the most recent and i think that was maybe last year although i don't uh, know last year was kind of a blur it might be yeah, the year yeah. for some reason i'm thinking yeah. of the road uh, the road movies yeah, yeah that, was, oh, that was that was a great set those are some of my favorite films of his so yeah that's it for criterion news um so we have a segment called short takes where we just talk about a, a criterion that we've seen recently so uh we go alphabetically and andrew i'd love to hear of course you seen anything? I, I am first um well recently I made uh, a big kind of commitment to watch all of the films in the Godzilla, the Showa era box set, you know, all the films from 1954 to 1975. And I had done it uh, to do in, in tandem with the new film that just came out, Godzilla vs. King Kong. And yeah, it was a it was a hell of a trip. I had seen the original film at least twice already before I even had dove into this box set. So I was really familiar with that. It's still my favorite Godzilla movie, but I had bought the set obviously when it came out, I want to say fall of 2019. I'm just guessing at mm-hmm. this point, uh, right. what is time? And mm-hmm. uh, of course this was the, the spy number 1000 for criterion. So it was a big set for that. And it's a big set, you know, physically in general, it's like a coffee table sized book and yeah, I went through all of the movies and the special features and it was, it was a journey. It was a journey through a really iconic, um, uh, like pop culture figure that has existed since the 1950s, which is fascinating to me. Um, because as these movies went along, you saw the changing of just the way in which they were made, the way in which the the character was approached, the evolution or de-evolution of the character or the films, depending on your perspective. Uh, but this box set was really all-encompassing. Uh, for And it was really um, a, an ambitious release from Criterion on all accounts. Because just to get all these movies together, specifically here in the States, is tough because of rights issues and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I really enjoyed going through that. I've always been a big Godzilla fan, and it was a real journey. There was There's eight discs in the set. The eighth disc is just all extra special features, and basically 15 movies on seven discs or so. Um, that's, that's kind of like the breakdown. It's a giant coffee table book, really great artwork, beautiful presentation of it all. Um, for those of you at home who may have this set already, you probably know that it does have some design flaws that are, that are creeping up for a lot of people um, when it comes to kind of the deconstruction of the set and things wearing off and whatnot starting to happen to mine so that's why I had to bring it up um, but yeah that was my probably my most recent watch and I watched that basically throughout the month of April so about a month oh, wow. about a month ago 
Well, what's interesting, I, I, I haven't heard your last episode, and our last episode was all about kaiju. Ah. So, and so we, yeah, Godzilla was our, our, our starting point, but we went uh, very, very deep. Uh, that was with uh, the wonderful Dave Eves, and we had a great time, but I'm right with you. Stephen, what, what do you got? All right, so um, we're, you know, as you know, you know, when you're doing podcasts, you know, you kind of start trying to plan things out way ahead of time, so you can, if you need to watch a lot of stuff, uh, you get that started. So we're we're planning to do an episode in a couple months, going over kind of all the physical media releases uh, for David Cronenberg, um, and so. Of course, David Cronenberg's in the collection a few times, and the one I've already recently kind of watched is uh, Scanners, which is one I really love. Um, it, you know, it's kind of a pure '80s, just, just you know, <laughs> gore fest. Um, of course, known for its exploding head scene at the beginning. Um, Spoiler, and, man. <laughs> oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> Nobody's seen but, that. But um, yeah, I didn't tell you who whose head got exploded. Yeah. It could be anybody. Uh, it's a it's a um, gift. We're good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, I love David Cronenberg, uh, which is part of the reason we're doing this because I just I'm looking for a reason to to watch all his films, uh, and uh, you know, Scanners is just one. He was one of the first I saw of his in the later in the early stages of his career because we talked about this on our show. Um, you know, I got kind of introduced to Cronenberg through more of his recent stuff. Um, like History of Violence and Eastern Promises, but um, this was kind of one of the first of his his early films that I saw, and and really made me fall in love with his film. Uh, and I kind of when I explain this movie to people, I'm like, you know, it's almost kind of a a, a more grounded. Um, <laughs> just take if, if you're trying to get somebody to watch this, it's more a grounded version of like the X Men. Um, <laughs> you know, like like if, if the X Men were a lot gorier and and just, it just I don't know. It's hard to describe to some people because all it is is a bunch of psychics trying to kill each other. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's I, I love this movie and uh, I love David Cronenberg and um, it's going to be uh, and, and the set from Criterion's great. It's a nice digipack set and um, great artwork and yeah, that's what recently I I, I checked out. It's a good one and uh, yeah, he's he continues to get stuff. Um, out in the collection, we just got Crash Upgrade. Uh, less, oh yeah, which uh, yeah, that was great. And um, I think the only big one that we don't have from him is probably well, we have the DVD is Dead Ringers. Yeah, Ma- imagine that'll come someday. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess I mean Shout what Shout Factory put it out. Oh, did they? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the uh, and, and a lot of the the body horror stuff has come out from Arrow and elsewhere. So yeah, great filmmaker. Well, mine is from another uh, uh, frequent uh, director to the uh, Criterion Collection, and that's uh, Olivier Assayas's Irma Vep. And it was actually actually my second time seeing that, but uh, what's weird is I had watched it on Netflix disc the first time, so uh, I just remember that one being a very, very long wait, and it showed up. Um, If those of us, you that struggled with Netflix disc, um, probably remember that that pain. And I think I hadn't seen much of Sayus, although frankly, I, I would say this is unlike anything he's um, ever put out before um, or since. And um, but it's really a, a really remarkable film about the making of film. And it dawned on me there are not a lot of movies about like that. I mean, there's some like there's some even classic Hollywood films about like like Star is Born is a big one. Um, although that's more about the the you know the the 
the people that they're featured in the in their private lives, but not really about the actual craft. Um, Day for night, of course, is I think the big one, but the, and and this does not imitate that at all. It's actually you know day for night is kind of a comical approach, uh, but but Irma Vep is uh, is really r- remarkable in that um, it kind of. You know, one thing I've been saying lately is like every film set is a culture, and some sometimes it's very, you know, very uh, vibrant, um, inclusive actors, and and people get a lot of creative, uh, um, I guess, flexibility. Um, sometimes they're toxic, and I think this was the, the latter, a, a toxic, uh, and and you see a lot. And it, what's interesting is they play with languages. So uh, Maggie Chung is the lead, um, and she's um, she, she speaks English. Uh, but she speaks no French or very little, and so you have you know, different languages that, um, and kind of the cattiness comes through in you know people, the French people speaking English to her, and then they're talking smack um, in French, so that's all subtitled. <laughs> um, but really, really remarkable, and she's great. It's it's kind of weird to see her out of her normal, um, you know, her her '90s films, especially when we have the uh, the one car Y set, and uh, so. Yeah, uh, in fact, I, Chung King Express is next for a rewatch, so I'll be getting a lot of Maggie, Maggie Chung in the near future. But uh, I highly recommend that that disc. So now, is it? I know you said that you know the film, the movie's about you know like the process of filmmaking. Is it any? I mean, I I, I know you said that none of the other fil- other uh, Sayas films are got kind of you know plays into that. But would you say like Clouds of S- Selsa Marita kind of does that a little bit? Like um, a little bit, but know, yeah, kind of, kind of goes into the acting side of things. Yeah, yeah, not not in the same same okay. level. Like this shows like the. Um, have you seen Day for Night? I, uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen Day for Night. Yeah, it's it's more like that. You know, you see the okay. cameras, you see the uh, the sta- the 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 crew, you see the makeup artist, you uh, you see their interactions off screen. So it's uh, it, it's almost like documentary style filmmaking, okay. um, or uh, about the film filmmaking process and. Uh, and what's interesting is Maggie Chung, uh, you know, she, she has great speaks great English. I didn't realize she was born in England because she has a distinct English accent. Um, it was strange to um, to to see and hear, but uh, but yeah, she's she's amazing in this film. Um, so that's it. Uh, that's the, most of the show, and we uh, we finish off with what we call piece of flair, and that's just something that we're digging that's not on Criterion. So uh, Andrew, you're next up. I'm, nice. I'm sure you got something. I do have something. It's a recent actual acquisition for me, talking about physical media, and it is uh, John Badham's Dracula film from 1979. <clears throat> and it's the one... I mean, there have been so many Dracula films over the years. It's got to be the most uh, continuously adapted, you know, classic pieces of literature ever. Um, and this film stars uh, Frank Langella as the title role of Dracula, but it also has, um, it also has uh, Donald Pleasance in the film as well, as well as Laurence Olivier playing Van Helsing, like a seventy-year-old Laurence Olivier playing Van Helsing, <laughs> and I just found that to be just utterly fascinating. And the film, it, it takes it takes portions of the original novel and adapts it, but it's not a straight adaptation. It's a it's a movie adaptation. Things are things are lost, licensed. Uh, you know, artistic licenses taken and stuff like that. And it's a really interesting uh, approach to the, the you know, story of Dracula. It's very theatrical. It's very, I, would, I wouldn't even say over the top, but it just has that, 
1970s, uh, you know, almost hammer horror type vibe to it, mm, where you yeah. have that 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 period piece setting because it's set in like turn of the century um, in Europe and stuff like that, or I think actually like outside of London or something. And it it does take place. It does have some of the characters like Jonathan Harker and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, Van Helsing, of course, Count Dracula. Uh, but there's just a stylized way that. John Badham decided to do certain scenes that were so surreal and colorful and just mind-boggling like visual effects that that I thought I was watching something completely different. Like I'm like is this a Dracula scene where he's like where he's, you know, sucking the blood out of a victim or is this like a surreal acid trip scene from like a David Lynch movie? What am I watching here? <laughs> and and um Frank Langella is just so cool and so, like, he just, ero not erotic, but, like, he just oozes, like, sex appeal in the film. Se sensual. Yeah. Sensuality in the film. And he's really, you know, you know, it, you know, wooing the women, if you will. Like, he just has this allure about him and he plays it to the T. And it's just a really fascinating, you know, uh, adaptation of it. And it's a movie I had actually been wanting to see... <clears throat> Uh, since like 2013 and I had just been waiting for like uh, there had been an earlier Blu-ray release that I that I didn't get I forgot who put it out and I think it was Millennium or somebody and then there was a recent one put out by Shout Factory I think under their Scream Factory label it feels like a Scream Factory release uh, I think that came out in 2018 and I had waited like three years to get that release I have this thing that Stephen has pointed out where I just like I wait for a very long time to get certain releases just to kind of um just to kind of like put it off to the point where when I finally get it the thrill of getting it is just, just such like a sweet victory that it's just like a like a rush if you will <laughs> like a, like you're on a roller coaster and you finally take that plunge um and yeah it was well worth the wait and I'm really glad I got it. I think most of the most of the reason why is because the the Shout Factory, Scream Factory releases tend to be slightly overpriced, and I always wait for them to drop. That that's mm. that's usually my thing too. I'm a much more fickle buyer than I think a lot of other collectors are. But that's just an aside. I've seen it. I've seen that Dracula, and yeah, I think uh, the way you described Langella, it, it, yeah, it's a good one, one of the better ones. So. And there are two different versions of the movie. Uh, I put versions in quotes because there's an original theatrical color timing release, and then there's like a 1991 director preferred version of the color paletting, and they are vastly different. Hmm. Um, the 1991 color paletting is muted, like muted down to the point where the movie almost looks black and white, as with the 1979 original version is very colorful, almost like like huge rosy technicolor type aesthetic and it's just vastly different vibe uh, i found that to be really fascinating i'll just share that we um speaking of inside jokes recurring jokes we have mm -hmm. one about john badham that i'll um, i'll share with you later it'll be for the patrons sorry <laughs> nice. sorry listeners uh steven what you got piece of flair all right well um so i know you're into these uh indicator sets uh like i am uh and they recently brought out their Columbia, uh, Columbia number three film noir set. And, uh, I decided to jump, I, though I haven't watched all of the films in the first two sets, there was one in this particular set I was really interested in watching. 
and it's um, the Edward uh, Dermitric film, The Sniper. Hmm. And um, this is a really great film. I really enjoyed this. Um, It also helped me discover uh, Edward Dermitric because I wasn't really aware of him. Um, he's kind of one of the film filmmakers of that time that were blacklisted. Yep. Um, during the, the early fifties. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, this film right here, I think was the first films, one the first film he did, um, after he was, uh, denounced, you know, he was brought back into allowed to film, to film again. Um, and Stanley Kramer made a deal with him to make films. And this, I think was the first one and it's great. It's, it, you know, it's, um, you know, this is 1952, and there are some some scenes in this film that were surprising that they they kind of sh- you know they shot it. It is a black and white movie. There isn't really any blood, of course, but there are literal. There's like scenes where you know this guy who is this kind of disturbed man who um, seems to have like psychological issues, especially towards women, and um, you know he starts deciding to go out and and you know shoot people, shoot women, and there's like scenes where you just see it happen. Like it doesn't cut away. It doesn't, you know, and for a film from this time period, that seems kind of like alarming. Um, and it surprised me. Um, and this, uh, in the special features for this, um, film, they have a Martin Scorsese apparently uh, really loves this film and he's inspired by this film. Um, especially cause of kind of how they, they didn't use sets. They used the actual streets, and, um, you know, of course, Scorsese did that a lot with his early films and continuing. And, and But this is a really good find. These indicator sets, there's always some great finds, uh, especially in these film noir sets. And this one was um, one I would definitely check out, The Sniper. Just got my part three, I think, this week. And, um, yeah, I I've s- still have not gotten I- – I finished part one and um, about to – crack uh, part two but yeah the the noir sets especially have been treasures so i um there, there was a hint uh on indicators page that I, i'm hoping means there's more noir sets i mean they're cranking them out so they're they must i mean be selling. i mean there's so much noir i know, you know like yeah yeah and plant plant a seed i'm about to take a noir class and uh, i'm going to be Ooh. talking about that in, a, in another episode or two so um yeah, stay tuned so yeah um, um yeah and, and dimitric was well uh one of the, I think, the more talented of, of the uh, the Hollywood Ten. I know Dalton Trumbo and like Ring Lardner. They they were very very talented as well. But um, yeah, uh, glad he uh, glad all of them pretty much got their career back. Uh, mine has been. I haven't been watching as much film lately. Um, part of the reason is because I've been binge watching Ozark on, on Netflix. <laughs> uh, so I, what's funny is uh, early in COVID, my wife and I uh, we heard good things and we watched like the first two episodes. But um, we weren't really feeling, uh, it's not that we didn't like it, it's just that it was really serious and we wanted some COVID comfort food, so we ended up going, going to Schitt's Creek instead, which <laughs> I think everybody would understand, that was a different vibe. Um, so uh, I, I, and she, I think she'll come around on it, but I, I resumed watching it and just got hooked immediately. Um, it's not quite, it's, it's so, sort of similar to Breaking Bad in that, uh, you know, it's, it, I mean, they really are Breaking Bad. Um, and, and it's not perfect. There are some, some flaws, but, uh, but yeah, the, um, the third season was really remarkable. I, actually, second and third, I think it really is uh, finding its voice. Um, I won't go into, you know, what happens because it's, you know, I would recommend watching it. But the third season, there's a supporting actor that just rocked it. 
and if you've seen it, you know who I'm talking about. And then they end the uh, the, the 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 series, or not the series, because there's going to be a fourth season. But the the last uh, episode is um, was quite a shocker. So, um, yeah, great series, highly recommend it. So, have you guys seen it? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I love Ozark. I mean, you know, Bateman, Jason Bateman's just kind of, I think, uh, you know, just a you know, a Renaissance, you know, guy, you know, man, he just, he can, he can play comedy very well, but he also, Mm -hmm. I think really does, uh, some of these serious roles, um, very well also. And yeah, Ozark is, is, I think, I think what I like about, and I guess maybe being from the South, um, you know, this kind of backwoods, um, kind of crime stuff has always been, um, you know, interesting to me. So yeah, here's my impression of Bateman in Ozark. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm? <laughs> that's basically that's it. exactly that's right on yeah <laughs> that's all he says no no he, he's good and laura lenny is, is amazing as well oh, yeah. so um so that's the show so okay you guys have a podcast i saw earlier it's on spotify so um so I'll, I'll ask where else we can find it online um yeah you i mean we we host with pied bean so you can go over to pied bean and uh and and listen there but we also have it on apple podcast and uh i'm i as you said got it on spotify and i'm trying to get it on stitcher so that's the next thing um and we're eventually going to have a website up that you can go to um to listen from there so yeah um cool please please give us ratings we we, were looking you know we want to hear some feedback good ratings (laughs) not bad ones (laughs) uh well i mean i I would prefer good ones yeah Yeah. i'll be i guess be honest but uh yeah 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 um so, Andrew, where can, where can people uh, find you online? Uh, well, people can find me, of course, on Chasing Labels at all the links that Stephen just mentioned. But you can also find me personally on Twitter at Cabzilla06, as well as my own YouTube channel, Cabzilla Productions. Nice. Uh, Cabzilla, C-A-B-Z-I-L-L-A? Yep. All right. You really really worked in the uh, Godzilla. <clears throat> it was actually, <laughs> yeah, there's a story behind it. It's actually a nickname a teacher gave me in high school based off of my nice. last name. So nice. when it came time to make a YouTube channel, that's what, that's what popped in my head. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, Stephen, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Stephen Billings. You can, you can come at me. I don't care. On message, I don't care. I'll come answer anybody. Come at me, Come bro. at me, please. Come on. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, and uh, you can find me on Instagram at ChasingLabel16. I, I post all the stuff I'm buying on there. Uh, I need to update it badly. I got stuff piling up on my desk. Um and then you can get me on Letterboxd, too. Um, I post all the stuff I'm watching there. I don't use Twitter a lot, but we're at, at Chasing Labels there. That's where you can get me. Cool. Well, uh, you can find the, our show at Criterion Cast. I uh, highly recommend the Master Feed, so that, that way you get uh, the, the channel up, um, the, the, the box, uh, inside the box. Um, so there's a lot of great shows. And sometimes uh, a main episode will, will pop up there. Uh, please subscribe to the Patreon for uh, Criterion Cast. You get the unedited episodes, so you're gonna uh, hear about our John Badham inside joke uh, if you uh, subscribe <laughs> there here, here, here momentarily. Um, personally, I'm, I'm I also don't use Twitter too much, but I'm at AWS five hundred five, Letterbox DSNT, and uh, yeah, great having you guys, man. Great show. Thank you, thank y'all, you for having us on, man. Y'all brought it. 